We're here today with Thomas Fozo. Thomas is a global business executive with a proven track record of leading highly successful businesses in the service, retail, and distribution industries. But since 2012, Thomas served as the first ever CEO of Homeboy Industries, the largest and most successful gang rehabilitation and reentry program in the world. What began in 1988 as a way of improving the lives of former gang members in East Los Angeles has today become a blueprint for over 250 organizations and social enterprises around the world, from Alabama to Idaho to Guatemala and Scotland. Thomas led the nonprofit organization forward, bringing his business expertise and vision to implement a strategic and mission-driven development plan for the organization that has resulted in doubling its size. Tom has a strong philosophy around leadership that's centered on people and processes. His new book is titled The Homeboy Way, a radical approach to business and life, and it releases tomorrow, excuse me, releases today from Loyola Press. 100% of the author royalties for the book go to support the mission of Homeboy Industries. And you can learn more about all of this at homeboyindustries.org. So Tom, welcome uh, and, and congratulations on your new book and, uh, and all that you've accomplished. Well, thanks, Prime. Good to be here with you. You've got such an amazing uh, background. And so before we kind of get into the book, I'd love for you to share, you know, kind of what that looks like first before the homeboy uh, endeavor. Yeah. And, and this is as I thought about why do I write a book is because I think my background is similar to a lot of folks out there. But now I've had this second chapter in my life and, and it's just so stunning. And I'm so grateful for it that uh, it's different. And so um Prior to Homeboy Industries, so I've been a homeboy uh, nine years now. I'll talk more about homeboy in a, in a minute. But prior to that, I was 26 years in the private for-profit sector of our economy. I uh, was uh, my last job there was executive vice president of Aramark Corporation, and in my set of businesses, I ran a two billion dollar set of businesses for Aramark. I, it was successful. I love being part of that uh, organization. It, it taught me so much. But along my way at Aramark. Um, uh, while I was leading companies and doing well, I also thought that there should be a second way, another way of going about helping people on the margins of our society via business. You know, I'm a committed capitalist. I love businesses, but how can businesses help people more? And so I figured, you know, corporate executives have a certain amount of shelf life. And so I figured it's sort of time for me to, to close that chapter and move to something different. And by coincidence or providence, I sort of ended up a homeboy. And uh, here I was, a hard-charging corporate CEO, volunteering my time at Homeboy, and there's so much to be learned, and I've learned so much about my spiritual journey along the way, um, and, I'm, and I feel blessed to be a part of Homeboy. So a little bit, I view myself as a corporate guy, a business guy, a guy who knows how to lead organizations, and now I put myself into this nonprofit space and working with people on the margins of our society. So it sounds like that transition was kind of interesting. I mean, can you tell us how it ended up happening? Did you end up at Homeboy? Yeah, you know, more specifically, uh, what I'm going to, I'll, let me talk more about leaving the corporate world, right? And so, sure. um, as I said, I ran a large corporation, uh, a large set of businesses. So I remember back way back in 2008, the Great Recession of 2008, and I'm sure if many people remember, but essentially it's, the economy shrunk about 10 to 15 percent in in about six months' time, and in our businesses that I was leading, uh, like we did what all businesses across the country did, we downsized, we sort of made do with what we had, 
but we were owned by private equity at the time. Hmm. And I remember uh, talking, it was, it was a seminal moment for me. I remember two days before Christmas, I'm sitting in a parking lot waiting to go to the food store to buy food for Christmas Day. And the chairman of the corporation calls me up and, said, and asked, starts asking me questions about, you know, the end of the, how we're going to finish the end of the year. And at this point, I had known we had made the right type of downsizing moves. And so let me try to frame it this way. In the businesses I was responsible for, we were we were scheduled to make $150 million of profit, of profit, not of revenue, profit. Through this recession, we were able to come in at $140 million. And so I remember the chairman saying to me, and almost getting agitated, that's not good enough, Tom. I, I needed to get back to the $150 million. Wow. And in my mind, I knew to make that next $10 million up, I was going to have to lay off like the third level tertiary level set of layoffs. And I'm going to lay off people that had been with the corporation for many years. They, they put their life into this company. I'm thinking, well, where's our responsibility to keeping their jobs? And in my gut, I'm feeling like, and in my head, I'm knowing I can make those numbers, but, and we're only doing it because we made promises to Wall Street, right? But there's no difference between 150 million of profit and 140 million profit in the long-term valuation of our corporation. Right, right. I'm thinking to I'm thinking to myself, this, this, this is kind of wrong. But yet, you know, those are the rules we live by. Those are the rules of corporate America. You know, I wasn't totally in charge. I was second, third in command there. So I saluted and moved and did it. But it, it left a bad feeling for me. And I figured there's got to be a different way of going about this, of how to help people, not just to when push comes to shove, a rubber meets the road that you kind of give up on the, on your employees. Okay. So fast forward four years later, our golden handcuffs uncuffed from the private equity. I left the corporate world see, seeking the next chapter of my career along the way. And a friend of mine, uh, we're on the board of Salvation Army of Los Angeles together. And a friend of mine was also on the Homeboy Industries board. He invited me down to the Homegirl Cafe uh, to have lunch. And uh, I said, sure. And I've never heard about Homeboy. And, and let me first say to you, listeners, what Homeboy is about. We're, and I know you said it, but essentially we help former gang members and former felons get on the straight and narrow, change your life, one from trauma to resiliency and to take on what life gives them. And so I'm sitting here having lunch with my friend in the Homegirl Cafe. And I'm looking around and I'm looking at these employees thinking, I would have never hired these employees in my corporate world. Uh, we won't hire felons. We won't hire gang members. We wouldn't hire people with tattoos on their face. And as I'm looking, these folks are working hard. They're engaging with customers. They're smiling with each other. That's a good workforce, I'm thinking to myself. I, and this is a workforce I would have stayed away from. And so when my friend asked me to get involved, I, um, I, said, I so I said to him, I've been on plenty of boards, but now i got time on my hands. Can I? brought my sleeves and volunteer and had used my business skills in a different way. And so I started volunteering and helping the social enterprise businesses of Homeboy. We have a cafe and a bakery and an e-commerce company and all that stuff. And so shortly I started volunteering and, and I fell in love with the organization because in the context of the job, people are dramatically changing their life. Um, and this is this matched up to my values. And it started sort of making me think about my first chapter of my career and how I can help out along the way. Homeboy was going through a financial crunch in those first couple of months of me being there. Uh, the board asked Greg to ask me to come on as CEO of Homeboy Industries. Father Greg is our founder, Jesuit priest. And, um, and in, even in the couple of months of me volunteering, I kind of listening to 
Father Greg talk about how we help people on the margins of our society was very counterintuitive. And so I couldn't pass up the opportunity for me to uh, be in Father Greg's orbit for a bit of time. And so instinctually, in my gut, I wanted to say, yes, let me volunteer. But me being a calculate, cold calculating CEO, a business guy, <laughs> I, I, you know, I started thinking, well, has, but boy, if I'm ever going to get back to the for-profit world, is this going to hurt me? So I called my network of friends and asked them directly, hey, if I do a nonprofit job for six months to a year, am I going to be soiled or <laughs> to not be able to get back into the for-profit world at a high-level job? And overwhelmingly, the answer was yes. I'll be viewed as as out of touch and not hard charging enough, which is just kind of stunning. I mean, to, to hear that. That's so, not surprising to me at all. Yeah, no, I mean, like you've been in the business world, so it's like, it's like yeah. oh my gosh. And so, you know, but listen, I took a leap of faith. Um, I look back on it; that's the best decision I've made. And and I jumped in with Homeboy, and I jumped into volunteer, and I've learned so much from the homeboys and homegirls and clearly father gray and, and really it, it freed me up to sort of really take on and really understand my own spiritual faith. And then thereby my spiritual journey, pushing it forward. So it's a long answer to now I arrived at homeboy. No, it's, it's all really important. And, you know, we'll, you know, we'll yeah. talk about the book in a moment, but I mean, you know, yeah, sure. everything else that, you know, goes into the, the preface to that, I think is, is critical. Um, mm -hmm. So could you talk a little bit about, how this transition has affected you spiritually. You mentioned that a couple different times. Yeah. And let me say from the first frame is that look at back to the business world, the for-profit world, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things. It, my philosophy is understand the rules of, of the game and kind of and win within those rules. Right. And so um, clearly I did well and very well in the corporate world. Right. But also it's like what also I recognized, although I was a, always a church goer and, and, and and believed in my religion, um, you know, you really in the corporate world, you can never talk about God in the business world. You just don't talk about God and your faith. I mean, it just, it's, I mean, you can talk about a lot of other things sort of behind closed doors, but not your faith. And so, um, and then, so when I show up a homeboy and, and I see how faith and spirituality really help our clients, we call them trainees, our tr trainees, get through their pain, get through the challenges in their life, I started realizing maybe I should look at my own faith as well. And so, um, you know, as Father Greg says, homeboy is soaked in spirituality. Although we're, fun, although we're founded by a Jesuit priest, we're not a religious organization. We are a spiritual organization. And, you know, even the fundamentally what AA is all about is, is leaning into uh, one's uh, faith in God and their spirituality. And that's how you help people get out of gang life along the way. And so then I started, it started freeing me up to a little bit, a little bit, a little tiny bit, start talking about my own view of God, my own spirituality. And then along the way, it's like I, the more I spent time with our homeboys and homegirls, I started realizing I should learn more about this. And, and as an example, you know, uh, my friends and I, we live in this Los Angeles, we live in Santa Monica mountain areas. So we do a lot of trail hiking and on Sundays and, and, and Saturdays. And so uh, a number of years ago, when I first started homeboy, we, a couple of my friends, we took about six of our homeboys up and we went, we we're going to hike Mount Whitney in central California, which is the highest peak in the mm. lower 48, 14,000 foot peak. 
And uh, it was a lot of fun training with these guys for, for, you know, two months beforehand. We, we take the long drive up, we do the hike, we come down. It was a terrific experience. But I remember driving back from, and we're driving through the Mojave Desert. And my friend uh, was, started talking about a, 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 you know, a passage, a Bible passage, prodigal son. And, and I remember my friend talking about it. And then all of a sudden, our two, our two homie guys, Robert and Jose, they start talking about it. And, and it's like almost a head turning again, because they're talking about it at such depth and how it connects to other passages. It's like, I'm just blown away thinking, oh my gosh, <laughs> Tom, wake up. You've got you to start paying more attention here. That's great. And listen to what others have, how we're going about it. And so it's that, that's the beauty of Homeboy. It's that sort of mutuality. It's that connecting with each other and to, and to learn from others. So that's what pushed me forward on, onto my path. Wow. And now making me feel much more comfortable talking about my own spirituality. No, I mean, when I grew up in corporate America, there were three things that we were never, you know, unwritten rule, but three things we were never supposed to talk about. Politics, sex, and religion. You got it, right? <laughs> and most times, the, the, the two of those get broken, the sex and the politics and the religion. <laughs> never, that rule never gets broken. <laughs> it's probably harder to stay out of politics now than what it used to be. Yeah. You know, I don't think so. I because think so, yeah. it's been such you know, a polarization thing and at the top of everybody's mm. radar screen, whereas before it was a little bit more, you know, behind the curtain, so to speak, you know. Right, right. You, you, it was clear, you, it was clear you went, you just stay neutral and yeah. don't take sides. Yeah. Right. So can you tell us a little bit about within Homeboy, what kind of the, I mean, I don't want to know if the process is even the right word or assimilation is the right word, but when a new um, client or trainee comes into your work with your organization what does it look like what is the change that you see you know oftentimes take place between where they start and where they i don't know if end up is the right word either but you know yeah yeah no it's always always it's always an evolution right it's never you never stop healing in life right and so right so our clients our trainees um they're second, third generation gang members. Uh, their uncle jumped them in the gang. Their mother jumped them in the gang. Yeah, they jumped. They got jumped into gangs at 12, 13, 14 years old. So they really never, never had a shot at not being a gang member uh, along the way. And so, um, look, they're, they, they have been victims of complex trauma as a, as a young person. They join a gang thinking that's their family. That's going to get them out of the trouble they're in. It's a false hope, false idea. The gang ends up turning on them. They do a crime. They go to prison. They come out of prison, right? And so when they come out of prison or jail, and here's, now these are my words. These are Tom Bozo's words. After these number of years of watching this happen, uh, there's like, almost like you can imagine the metaphor of two angel and devil on their shoulders, right? Uh, One saying, go to homeboy, go change your life. You're better than, you know, you're a good person. Go hold on to that and, move your life forward. And there's the other devil on their shoulders saying, come on, come back to the gang. No one else in society is going to help you. We're your family. And there's this tug of people when they're coming out of prison, what to do again at the gut level, they want to be better. They don't want to run with the gang. They want a decent job. They want to take care of their kids. And so they don't know how to get there. There's so many barriers of what society throws against them. So as they walk through homeboy, and we say this metaphorically and physically, as they walk through homeboy for the first time, those walk into those doors, we're there to help them. And we're here to say yes to them in some fashion, in some way. And so fundamentally, our secret sauce is that 
Uh, we're not going to judge them for the color of their skin. We're not going to judge them for their tattoos. We're not going to judge them for their gang. We're not going to judge them for the crime they did, their felony. We're just going to come in and, and, and build a relationship, love them, and trust them. And, and by loving them, trusting them, having them finally form a, a secure, trusting relationship, that's what helps them start changing their life. And that's what helps them start healing, taking that foundational healing that's needed to move their life forward and get rid of the pain of the past and, and move that forward. And so in the end, it's about the trusting and building relationships and caring for them. In the middle of all that is, you know, we have programs, we have anger management programs, TV for the batterer and for the, for the victim. We have uh, tattoo removal. We take off 12,000 tattoos a year. Uh, we have GED courses. We have anger, I said anger management. We have mental health therapy. We have therapists who volunteer the time with us. And along the way, fundamentally what we do is we pay people <laughs> to be part of our program. So easy to say two thirds of the day, they're doing all that programming. I said, the other one third, they're washing windows and sweeping floors. And in over a number of months that flips to uh, one third working on themselves of their day and two thirds marketing one of our social enterprise businesses or bakery or cafe or electronics waste recycling company. And if you think about it, you know, we, in our bakery, we make artisan bread. We have 14 bread routes that run around uh, the County of Los Angeles delivering bread to restaurants. But, and so it's handmade bread. So you have guys at rival gangs sitting on the table, rolling dough, shoulder, shoulder in their gang enemies outside a homeboy. But what it's about is building relationships among themselves. As Father Greg would say, you can't demonize somebody in a relationship with. And so it's about the relationship. So, so the, what the, the message is, is we're here to help people heal via caring and relationships and, and having a very secure sanctuary space for them as they come in each day. Love and trust. What a concept. Yeah. What do I know? It's, and it's, it, it sounds, it's right. It's so obvious, but not many organizations do it and we do it really well at Homeboy. Wouldn't it be wonderful if more of the world adopted that attitude toward Amen. People, huh? Amen. I mean, right. Amen. You know, it's not. Yeah, like but a lot of the world wags, a lot of the world like still wags their finger. They're going to love and they, they have conditional love and trust. They wag your finger. You got to do this or else. That's not love and trust. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, is there a, typical time frame roughly between when someone enters the program and moves on from the program? Yeah, no, it's, um, what we try to do is it's around 18 months. We, we, you know, so people come in um, and look, there's so many challenges in their life. That's what I kind of learned is like when they come out of the jail or prison system, they're loaded up with debt. You know, they have debt from not just restitution of what their crime was, but they got to pay their, parole officers costs, they got to pay their court costs. I'm saying they're loaded up with debt. I don't know how society thinks that you load somebody with debt while they're in prison. How do you think they're going to work down that money? <laughs> it's just, it's just nuts. Maybe, and then uh, the hard, it's hard for them to get housing. 75% of our population are definitionally homeless. Right. Wow. And so, so we don't want them back in the gang. We don't want them hanging in the old neighborhood. So, uh, you know, it's hard for them to get, an apartment. I mean, there's so many barriers. So that's why with us, it's 18 months because it takes time to kind of knock down those things. Sure. Be able to get your driver's license back to try to get your kids back to try to get your debt reduced. I mean, there's all those things. So, so the program is about 18 months long is a 
is, is the answer to the question. And, you know, look, on any, on any day, about 300 people are part of our paid program, uh, our payroll, almost 325 now. Um, and additionally, about another 400 people come in a week who take advantage of our services for free. So pre-pandemic, we were, we were working with about 8,000 people every year walking wow. through our doors. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. That's, that's quite an impact. I mean, it really is. Yeah, yeah. Right. And the way we're organized financially is we're, um, we're now a $30 million organization, um, of which about 20 $20 million we raise money from donors. We're blessed with great donor support. Um, just, just wonderful. Uh, about seven and a half million comes from our social enterprise businesses of revenue. And only about two and a half million dollars comes from government, all forms of government, federal, state, county, city. And that's a little bit of frustration as a business guy. I thought we could kind of articulate our message to the uh, government folks, but they have their own way of thinking about how to help people and they don't, and we don't fit into their way. You're too successful. It's very hard to get government funds. Yeah, you're right. Right. Successful. <laughs> you bring in too much like, money on your own. <laughs> uh, well, we're, and we're successful with our people. You know, let, let me say this. So Homeboy Industries, um, a number of years ago, we, there was a study funded, independently funded study. UCLA did it. And people in part of Homeboy Industries, the clients, have only a 30% recidivism rate after two years of leaving Homeboy. That's going back into the jail system two years later, uh, a new uh, new crime. Our 30% compares so very favorably to a statewide average of 70%, which is like oh, two times better than we are. And we deal with serious violent offenders. And so I thought, as a business guy, I thought, geez, I can just walk into some elected official's office, say, look, we're two and a half times better. You don't need to get pay all the money because we have leverageable funds. Look how much money I can save you. I just couldn't, I still can't get the elected officials to say, Yes. <laughs> and it's, it's still kind of frustrating. So my message, but that's, that's, that's the business challenge is the organization challenge. But what I'm trying to get across with in, in writing this book is that to your point, you just said, you take the simple, simple notion of loving somebody and trusting somebody, you can help people. You can help people on the margins of our society for sure. Well, it's so great to see how well that has played out. Um, but let's talk about the book. How, how did this come yeah. about? What, sparked you to write this? Yeah, you know, the first what sparked me to write this is, um, you know, as a, uh, a hard-charging CEO coming into Homeboy with all the hubris of a corporate CEO, uh, I was, rightly so, kind of, uh, you know, Father Greg early on said, you know, we're not broken, just come in and be part of the organization, fit into the community, right? Beautiful advice, and I give that advice to many volunteers who come into Homeboy now. And oftentimes what struck me at Homeboy was, I got to be participating in what we call council, where we help where each day it got together and talked about folks, individuals who are having problems and how as a team we should help that person, uh, whether they got uh, their children taken away from DCFS the prior night or whether they got, when their friends were invested or whether they never showed up for work two or three days. My point is, as I'm sitting in that little council, listening to everybody talk about it, in my mind, I'm thinking, well, here's how I would do it. And about half the time, Father Greg and the team would do it a different way. And almost 180 degrees from what I would do. And I started realizing and watching the, how they do their work and the impact it has on the individual and how the individual kind of thrives in that environment. And so I'm thinking, I've so over the years, I'm, I've, I've learned a lot of head-turning notions, 
And so as I thought, well, maybe I should sort of write this down that if I was ever go back into the for-profit world, what would I take back to that world and and good leadership lessons? So that's how it started. And then as I started writing it, uh, I started realizing uh, and it freed me up to start talking about my own spiritual journey and what would a hard, how can a hard charging CEO kind of molt from that skin of sort of hard exterior layer, right? To be more open, open my eyes to see what God's graces are about and to uh, open my heart in the knowledge of that God has put goodness in all of us. And, and how do I take that message back to the type of community I had come from and that to say, look, if I can kind of find my spiritual path, others can find their spiritual path that you don't always have to have this business part of your life and the non-business part of your life. Right. And, uh, and so, so that was, that's part of it. And then the third reason to write the book is, again, a little bit of my, my, um, my, my personality, I, I'm fired up and angry that how society treats people on the margins of our society. Look, the poverty rate in America has been the same for the last 45 years. And so I'm saying, come on, folks, let's pick our heads up. There's a different way of going about it. And by the way, the different way is the homeboy way, because we've proven that we can help people who are on the far edges of our society, who are poor and without housing and without food, how we can kind of stand them up and get them resilient to take on what society has to throw at them. We've proven that. So come on, let's kind of, and I think businesses should do more, government agencies should do more, nonprofits should do more. And so there's really the three-headed part of why I wrote the book. And, and uh, so I, so that that's what's the kind of my, my emphasis there. So, um, in the book, do you talk about how you're scaling this? Because, you know, the introduction I mentioned, you've got these locations, organizations that have in some way modeled off of you guys or that you've started from Alabama mm-hmm. to Idaho, Guatemala to Scotland. Mm-hmm. How mm-hmm. have how has that scaling happened? Yeah. And um, if, like I said earlier, uh, about 8,000 folks come to our doors every year for help. Um and interesting, pre-pandemic, about 9,000 people come through every year just to see what we're about, visitors, <laughs> and uh, which kind of fits into what Father Greg's uh, vision and mission is about, is showing, is shining a light on the goodness of everybody and the, and the goodness of people, and that no, in our, no type of people in our society are disposable, should be thrown away. And so thereby, we open our doors and say, come on, c- come watch what it's about. And so if you ever had a chance in LA, come visit he would walk into our space. You would be greeting by a homie. He would smile. He would hug you. He would say, "What can I do for you?" And you and you would, and you can feel the vibe. You can feel the positiveness that happens within the confines of our building. And so, other folks, other organizations have come, and we we give them technical assistance. We show them what, how we go about helping people. Now, we don't franchise. We don't own any other locations outside of Los Angeles. Because uh, fundamentally, we believe the work is the the work of helping in our, for our gang members has to be kind of it's a local type of thing. But we'll teach you what we're about. And so, a number of years ago, we started up the the Homeboy Network, and it's become a global network where there's 150 organizations around the country and the world, uh, 42 states, seven countries who have modeled themselves after Homeboy Industries, and so. Um, not that we're trying to scale, but we're willing to say, hey, you know, this is a this is a working way of going about helping people and take what we have, modify it. You know, we're all part of this network. And and so there's 
ongoing communications through the network. And once a year, there's a global convening in Los Angeles and we share best practices. And, and it's really for the, a lot of the organizations are smaller organizations and nascent and startups, but it's for them to come to our global convening. It's, it's affirming to them because the work is hard. I mean, working with uh, the poor and working with people who have felonies and it's not unpleasant work. Right? It's just that it's only hard because the rest of society thinks you're sort of crazy for what you're doing. <laughs> and so for a global network to be in the same space and we kind of sort of sort of share among each other is it's very affirming and, and uplifting. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. It's, it's really cool. So um, as CEO, I mean, you know, one of your jobs is to look ahead, right? So what can you say uh, about what's next for Homeboy Industries? Yeah. So, um, you know, I want to say it this way, um, you know, Father Greg is still with us. He's on the board. He's our founder. He sort of keeps us uh, as our spiritual advisor, I suppose, in the global sense, right? Um you know, if you ask Greg that question, um, he doesn't think about that. He just thinks who's in front of him, how we help the person in front of him. Hmm. Um, I'm molded and made differently as a corporate guy. It's like, what's next? What do we do? How many people can we help? Right. And so uh, it's when I started, we were about $11 million organization. Now we're about $30 million organization. That means we raise $30 million and spend $30 million. We are a nonprofit who puts the money to work all the time. Uh, even at that, though, we can't do not have enough resources to help the number of people coming to look for help from us. Mm. You know, 10 to 12 people interview each week to be part of our homeboy paid program. And we can probably only take one or two. Wow. Uh, and uh, that means to be interviewed, I means you've, you've tested drug free, substance free, and you've been a, you're a gang member and you've been incarcerated and you're looking to get out of that lifestyle. So there's still so many more people who need our help. And so um, look, I look at it from a businessman's eyes, right? And so here's here what I see at Homeboy. I've seen it from day one. I still see it now. We know how to help people get out of gang life. We do. We have the know-how. Uh, we have, what we don't have though, is the resources, the money to help more and more people. So my goal is to sort of keep growing and, and find the money to help more people. But key to that has been over these years, what's allowed us to grow is a growing our management team. And so we've grown our management team from within. So I'm proud to say that over half of our senior staff are former clients. They've been that trainee, that that, that client, right? And so they know what it's like to be in the gangs. They know what it's like to leave a gang. They know, I mean, they have such great insight into people. It's just, so we have a phenomenally good management team and we're pushing to have them at all levels of the organization, people lived experience. And which means think about what's going on in, in America and the dialogue around uh, racial inequities, economic inequities. So we are taking clearly people who people of color, people who have been poor and moving them up the economic ladder via their job responsibilities and employing them and, and having them be the future leaders of Homeboy. Uh, so that's our goal is to keep doubling in size so we can help more people and along the way put people of experience in leadership positions. And then a, a, an associated goal is actually to have more homeboy owned and operated businesses, social enterprises. Because one of the things that's always bothered me during my years at homeboy is as we help people and they leave homeboy after 18 months, we're only able to get them a minimum wage job. 
they deserve more than a minimum wage job. And I've seen them work in our businesses. And I've seen it's a good workforce. And so let me see, you know, let me say it this way: in our cafe, uh, we have a Zagat rating, and there's only eight other restaurants in downtown Los Angeles with as high as a Zagat rating, oh, and it's great. run by former felons and gang members. I mean, there's no outside management. It's all they know how to run businesses, right? That's and so, great. so if we have more of homeboy type businesses, then I can put more of our folks into those businesses, not just the frontline employees, but in management, and they can make market-based wages. So, so we've added a homeboy venture and jobs fund where we're trying to take the, the private equity venture capital model and say, let's go raise capital, raise money to invest into homeboy type businesses and have our and have those businesses run for a long time with our with our people. So there's a lot that's moving forward for homeboy. That's sure. awesome. I love that. I love that a lot. So what about on the book front? I mean, have you got any other ideas for future books? Oh, I don't know. This one, uh, this book is, was, was interesting for me to write because, it's, again, I was, I was talking about myself, uh, which is really the stories about homeboy and, and the homeboy way and what any one of us, if you were in that homeboy culture every day, what you would feel and what you would learn and the stories of our, of our people are in there and what society needs to do to help others. So. Um, you know, it was it was not wasn't so hard to write about homeboy. It was hard to write about myself a little bit, the little bit that's in there, along the way. But the you know, I don't know. Maybe the next book is about how to kind of run businesses with uh, with our pop client population and how to make sure you kind of invest in them as the future leaders. Well, especially you know, both the base you know case as well as the business you were just talking about launching. You know, the the VC type you know, funding, you know, right. how, how to be a social right. entrepreneur or something, you know, <laughs> a social That's investor. Right. That's right. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, um, Tom, I really want to congratulate you and thank you for thank all you. the wonderful work that you've done. And I'm really glad that you wrote a book, you know, to tell the world a little bit more broadly about, you know, the success and, you know, what's happened. And um, I hope it does continue to grow in multiple dimensions. So um, good luck. Well, with thank you, Brian. Appreciate chatting with you. Again, the name of the book is The Home Book, The Homeboy Way, A Radical Approach to Business and Life. Releases today from Loyola Press. 100% of the author royalties for the book go to support the mission of Homeboy Industries. And you can learn more at homeboyindustries.org. So, Tom, thanks again. Thank you, Brian.